Hi, and welcome to Tea, Toast and Talking Birth. My name is Helen Jakes and I'm this week's host. I'm a qualified nurse and midwife and more recently I've moved into midwifery academia. I've also have a specific interest in pregnancy yoga and I've been practicing as a pregnancy midwife yoga instructor uh, for the last three years, which is relevant for this podcast. Um, The co-hosts that are joining me this week are Frances Hodgson. Hi, I'm Frances Hodgson. I've been a midwife for 13 years and I'm currently working as a midwifery lecturer. I also have an interest in the topic of this episode of the podcast um, because I've undergone additional training which means I am qualified to do acupuncture for specific maternity related um, things Um, and I've been doing that for about four years now. Perfect and Catriona Jones. Hi Catriona. Hi um, I'm Catriona Jones. Uh, I'm a qualified midwife and a senior lecturer in maternal mental health. I've been a midwife for 25 years and a lecturer and researcher for the past 17 years and I too have an interest in complementary and alternative therapies within maternity settings. Um, My interest is less about the therapies themselves and more about how those therapies have come to find themselves within the margins of maternity care and also how midwives navigate the minefield of advising women about their use whilst still remaining true to um, the legal and professional frameworks that serve the midwifery profession. Um, so, so the interest that I have has led me early on in my research career to uh, publish a few papers on this and to write a book chapter about the use of CAM in maternity settings. Perfect, thank you. So as you know, this podcast aims to discuss and muse a different birth topic every week with our hosts. And as you know, we invite special guests as well to contribute towards conversation. We don't intend any of our discussions to act as medical advice and all of the considerations are merely our own thoughts and feelings on this particular subject, but we do use our collective experience and knowledge um, and we also do tend to try to bring in as much research as we can. Our aim is to bring together the wider community of birth, combining the clinical experience with the felt experience in a hope to demystify pregnancy and birth and share information. We do have social media accounts and we would welcome any thoughts, comments or suggestions for the future shows. These are found on Instagram, Tea Toast and Talking Birth and Twitter. What's the Twitter name, Francis? It's at Birth Tea. Thank you. <laughs> this week's conversation, as you've probably guessed, is all about alternative therapies in labour and birth. Alternative or complementary therapies are, as they say, an alternative or different approach to conventional medical care that are usually not prescribed by healthcare professionals, but used in addition to supplement conventional medicines. These can include, but not exclusively, acupuncture, aromatherapy, hypnosis, reflexology, um, the use of herbal supplements and foods, and that's just a few of them. Women may seek out alternative therapies to help alleviate common symptoms of pregnancy or to assist in pain relief control during birth. Midwifery is grounded in evidence-based research and it's important to acknowledge that the National Clinical for Health and Care Excellence in 2019 stated that pregnant women should be informed that few complementary therapies have established as being safe and effective during pregnancy. Women should not assume that such therapies are safe 
and they should be used as little as possible during pregnancy. However, even though that's been said, it's estimated that up to 87% of pregnant women seek complementary care in pregnancy, birth and the postnatal period. A figure which I'm sure you'll agree means that it's an area of maternity care that is real and prevalent. And the Royal College of Midwives state that all midwives at the point of registration should have a basic understanding of the benefits and risks of complementary therapies and natural remedies. So during this podcast, we're hoping to explore this topic further, addressing how complementary therapies can assist childbearing women and why so many women seek this alternative treatment. We also hope to look at the safety of alternative medicines and look at some of the evidence with the aim to be able to guide any pregnant women wishing to use these therapies and being able to use them confidently with appropriate knowledge. Lastly, but importantly, we also want to discuss the role of the midwife within complementary therapies. So that takes us to today's conversation. And Firstly, I think it's really important to start off with the question as to why women may seek out alternative therapies and what she might benefit from this. Catriona, are you able to um, give us some advice surrounding this? Yeah, Helen, thanks for that. And that's an interesting question to start things off. Um, So in terms of why a woman may seek out complementary therapies, the evidence about the women's use of complementary therapies and alternative therapies suggests that women are leading the consumption trends. And I think those figures that you've given us really um, sort of echo that. Now, the reasons for this are broad and varied. Some studies report that women um, are being driven to using these therapies because they feel dissatisfied and a bit disillusioned with what we would call conventional medicine. So that's the sort of standard Uh, medicines or treatments or therapies that they're offered through the NHS Um, or the use of complementary and alternative therapies might be linked to a person's health beliefs Um, so when uh, for example a woman's health beliefs are more aligned shall we say um, with the philosophy that underpins the use of complementary and alternative therapies and By that, um, I mean that, say, women might have a belief that well-being um, is more about a balance between mind and body and spirit rather than just about sort of correcting any specific ailment. So so somebody who believes in that whole kind of uh, philosophy of well-being being more, more about mind, body and spirit and environment coming together as one might be more inclined to engage with complementary and alternative therapies. Um, and uh, yeah. and so that's one reason why women may be drawn to, to use them. Now, when we start to explore CAM use within maternity care, within pregnancy and childbirth, it gets even more interesting because I've already said that women seem to be leading those those consumption trends and there's a lot of scope for CAM. Uh, sorry, I use that acronym CAM for complementary and alternative medicines and therapies to exist within maternity settings and maternity care. And one of the reasons is um, because there's no shortage of documents, policy documents that outline the need for women to have greater choices in childbirth. And we know that choice isn't a tick box exercise. So choice isn't just about where a woman wants to give birth. 
it's also concerned with things like um, how a woman wants to give birth and what she, what resources she wants to engage with in, in order to help her get the best out of her pregnancy and childbirth. So, so women are constantly being reminded through policy that they've got lots of choice. And part of the, the deal, if you like, with that um, idea of giving women choice is that women will go out and seek something that's beyond standard conventional care. So this may be one of the reasons why um, women seem to be more inclined to engage with these uh, therapies and products and treatments during the maternity episode. And, you know, birth satisfaction really, really matters to women. And having choice and having more control during that maternity episode ties quite well into this idea that women will feel more satisfied with their entire experience. Maternity episode is fertile ground, really, for the use of complementary therapies. That's really, really great, really well explained, actually. And it's really important to take from that, that the women are the drivers in this kind of complementary therapy that is out there. We know it's out there. Um, and as midwives, as we all practice, we, we see it frequently, but um, we're going to talk about this a bit more, but we're talking about the, the sort of guidance um, for midwives in terms of the advice we should be given. I was just thinking, and I was just thinking one of the things that's really interesting is when you look at the rates of women using complementary and alternative therapies um, during pregnancy and childbirth, and you compare that to, say, the literature available um research-based or even guidance for midwives and things like that there's a real um, dissonance in there that there's a lot more focus on this from women than there is maybe from the maternity services and that's really interesting because it suggests that something that's really really important to women is probably being overlooked a little bit by clinical guidelines and trusts and you know and midwives themselves there's not a lot of focus even within midwifery education on these things and it absolutely is in conflict when you even just look at those statistics that I put in the beginning. We've got the National Institute saying, you know, they're not deemed safe. They should be used um, very minimally within pregnancy. But then the Royal College of Midwives is saying we need to ensure that midwives at the point of qualification have knowledge about all of the therapies. And that just shows that sort of range of mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. in terms of the professional and the woman as well. I was just going to sort of support what both of you had said and and really kind of um, there's a lot that needs to be unpicked really in relation to why these therapies and the use of them, which we already know has been driven quite strongly from women, um, continue to exist on the margins um, when actually if there is this massive uh, choice agenda and this push about women being able to choose then really they shouldn't be there on the margins. They should be more within mainstream. And one thing I was going to touch on, and we'll probably unpick this a bit later on, is um, this fa- the fact that they are so much kept to the margins creates a real problem for maternity providers and for women because... Um, their existence and those sort of the way that uh, complementary and alternative therapies are badged as having no evidence base um, makes it very complex in terms of any any worthwhile 
therapies finding their way into the mainstream. Um, so that's a really important conversation that needs to be had about why. For me, that goes sort of hand in hand in the fact that these are often, they're, they're called complementary, so they're not seen as essential. But when you start looking at the fact that women are seeking them out for the holistic and the greater experience, then it becomes a more needed and required part of maternity care. And I agree. And I think as well, there's implications with, with this marginalisation of CAM in the sense that it makes conversations not happen that should be happening. So um, women often aren't talking to their healthcare practitioners about their use of complementary therapies and whether that's because they think it's not relevant or because they think they're going to be you know, negatively judged if they say that they're using these. And practitioners often aren't asking. And I think that's because they're, sometimes they're scared that they don't know what the right answers are and they're scared that they don't know how to give appropriate advice. And therefore, women may be continuing to use therapies that might not be most appropriate or they might be not using therapies which might be beneficial to them because these conversations aren't happening. That's a great point, Francis. So thinking about that, can we discuss a little bit more about the safety of these alternative therapies and kind of what women should do if they want to use them? Yes. So in the first instance, uh, if women decided that they want to engage with any sort of therapy, um, they should have a chat with their midwife uh, about their interest in and their desire to use that therapy or product. Now, um, and as midwives, we have to ensure we operate within our own legal frameworks and to make sure that we're not encouraging women to use something um, that doesn't have what's commonly known as a solid and robust evidence base. And we can go on to discuss some of the uh, some of the issues around acquiring an evidence base um, shortly. I'm sure that conversation will emerge really at some point during this podcast. Because um, there are challenges to de- the development of an evidence base within CAM and and that, or the development of an acceptable evidence base, if you like. And so they definitely need addressing. So what should happen is that women should feel comfortable enough to open up a conversation with their midwives about yeah. um, partaking in that particular therapy. Um, and it's important for the woman to do a bit of reading about it as well, because what might happen is that not all midwives will know everything about every type of therapy out there. And what I try and say to student midwives when I'm um, trying to facilitate their learning about complementary and alternative therapies, I try and say, is you don't feel that yeah. you are, um, you, know, you know, that you, what you're offering women is substandard in some way because you don't know about a particular therapy. Just be honest and say, I, I'm not sure about that therapy however um, I would encourage you to read up about it and I would encourage you to um, find out if um, find a qualified um, and properly trained therapist in order to provide you that therapy so and then the other sort of thing I, I would I would say to women is try and do a bit of reading around about what sort of research has been undertaken in terms of the safety of that particular therapy and the effectiveness of it and specifically around um, practitioners um, to encourage women to go online and look at look for practitioners who are on some kind of complementary and um, an alternative therapy register like for example the complementary 
a natural healthcare council register. So that's what I would recommend for women who are interested. Is there a place where women can go to to simply look at evidence base where they could easily read it? Because obviously sometimes evidence can be quite difficult for even, you know, us as academics to read. So is there a place where they can go to look at research that they know is reliable, but also it's it's easy to understand? It's easy to understand. I think... Um... Perhaps a general Google search will bring up some information about that that particular therapy. And if they want to go into it in a bit more detail, perhaps looking at it, and I don't know, maybe some, some women might want to do this, perhaps going into Google Scholar. Yeah. Um, but again, but, but as you've highlighted, what you might find is some of the, the, the articles within Google Scholar might be just, you know, too far delving into kind of real academic language so but there are also things like Cochrane reviews which sometimes have um you know a sort of a synthesis of the evidence um and are sometimes quite easy to to read and understand so I would say maybe go into um Cochrane collaboration and uh, look and see if there's any specific uh, synthesis yeah. studies that have pulled together lots of different studies on that particular therapy and I think that's also again like you've said that's where the professional can help so the midwife might not be the font of all knowledge of every complementary therapy there is but they might be able to guide that woman into where to obtain that yeah. best evidence and the safest practice and the safest practitioners um, to be able to pursue mm. that further. Now, just, sorry to interrupt, but I'll just sort of mention this in case we no, don't fine. come on to it. And th- there are, um, so there is a, an argument to be had around complementary and alternative therapies and medicines and whether they should exist at all, because the evidence base for some of the products and some of the therapies is considered to be not of a particular high standard. But at the moment, the way that... Um, we are led to 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 consider evidence as being um, gold standard, if you like. Sometimes the ways in which that evidence is is acquired, um, and the research that's done to prove that a particular product or therapy is is the right sort of um, the right sort of therapy and product to be used. Sometimes those ways of doing research don't really fit with the philosophy of complementary therapies. So it's not that they are unevidenced or that they are unsafe. It's just that the evidence base that works well for conventional medicine or the evidence of strategies, if you like, that work well for conventional medicine don't always work that well for testing the effectiveness of complementary therapies. And I think it's important that we have that conversation because all too often people go, there's no evidence base for these therapies and and, um, so they shouldn't be used. But it's not that there isn't it's not that they're not effective or that they're unsafe. It's just that the ways in which the, uh, in which um, some people insist we try and find out about how safe and effective they are aren't really that well suited to complementary therapies themselves. And I think that's to do with standardisation, isn't mm. it? That's the thing, is because complementary and alternative therapies are in their nature 
individualized and they're very often very different from one person to another depending on that person's needs whereas if you're setting up a trial to look at something like we do with medication that trial is very specific about everyone having exactly the same treatment and that say for acupuncture where you might want to use different acupuncture points on different people depending on how their symptoms present that doesn't fit into that model does it no, at all that's it I also think it's about how we um, review the experience of the woman. And we've spoken about this in previous podcasts where the experience that the woman comes out there with a healthy baby and her body intact is meant to be the most, that's the experience that you should be happy with. Whereas actually we know and we understand that the experience is a lot more than that. And we don't tend to quantify that in research at all, that whole experience of the woman spiritually, psychologically, emotionally. And that's where a lot of these alternative therapies are niching that gap, in my opinion, for the women to find. And that's what they're looking for when they're looking for their complementary therapies is they're looking for that holistic mm. um, care package, which maternity care And I think it's important not to step away from as well the fact that within maternity care, a lot of the interventions that we offer are not in any way rigorously evidence based. A lot of the things we do as routine do not have a strong evidence base to support them. And I'm thinking of things like um, regular vaginal examinations during labour, which there is not really any evidence base to support that. And yet that is done midwife practising in maternity settings across the country. So Mm. just because something doesn't necessarily have the evidence base, it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be present in practice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that it, um, in some places, some complementary therapies are used despite that. So, for example, aromatherapy, a lot of um, maternity units will offer an aromatherapy service, even though by medical standards, we wouldn't consider there's a good evidence base for its use. It doesn't mean it's not effective. It just means that those rigorous trials conducted as if it was a medication don't exist. But a lot of trusts, nonetheless, have put into place some kind of aromatherapy service because they recognise that women, anecdotally, find it very, very beneficial. Yeah, I think think what we sometimes miss out on is is the importance of uh, and I think you were touching on this Helen and you've definitely touched on it uh, Francis is this this thing about birth satisfaction because we get very we get very concerned about safety and efficacy and yes absolutely we should be concerned about them but sometimes we get too concerned about safety and efficacy and forget about satisfaction and you can have a safe birth and an effective birthing experience um, or you can engage with with um things within that birthing um, episode which have been effective but at the end of it you might not be satisfied so so the sometimes complementary and alternative therapies tick that satisfied box as well so women should be um, encouraged to think of safety effectiveness and satisfaction and sometimes satisfaction gets overlooked um, at the expense of safety and effectiveness yes absolutely and I think it's really important for us to address what I consider is to be the bit of the elephant in the room, really, in terms of why complementary therapy is often seen as very alternative, very hippie, very um, a woman who is trained to birth 
freely, you know, who, and then it gets put in this bracket of a woman or a midwife who is, you know, happy to have their baby in a river in the middle of a, <laughs> a forest, you know, and it gets taken to this extreme sort of level mm. when actually complementary therapy is not really about that at all. It's about encouraging the best experience possible. Mm. Um, and I think it's got a, a bad reputation almost amongst professionals as being seen as an extreme form of self-care um, within pregnancy would you agree with that I think that's really ironic in some ways because I think a lot of the time and I, I don't in any way disagree with what you're saying I think in some cases it is seen as quite out there and quite self-indulgent really um, but I do think yeah. that a lot of the time the people it's a lack of understanding of what it means and that the people who are making these kind of comments would probably also be quite happy to go off and drink a cup of peppermint tea if they had indigestion um, without realising that that is in effect the same thing and that they are also indulging in complementary and alternative therapies because it's a much wider issue than than people's it isn't just necessarily having your acupuncturist present at the birth there's all you know or using homeopathic remedies or whatever it's going to be it it's a thing that people do in their everyday lives without necessarily realizing they're even doing it mm -hmm. absolutely like I don't know lying in a bath if you've got a sore back do you know what I mean like yeah if you get yeah. aching muscles and limbs so yes and uh, there are there are I think also we get into this mindset where we go yeah oh, complementary and alternative therapies are just um those things and we forget that they that also includes things like raspberry leaf tea and so i often say to my students yeah. um okay so think of yourself in this situation what if you're sitting in clinic one day and I, I um you know with your midwife and your midwife pops out the room and uh, a woman says and the, there's a woman there in, in front of you and she says oh just before I go um somebody's recommended that I drink raspberry leaf tea from 36 weeks onwards what 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 what's your take on that and you know you can see the students just going oh god I hadn't even thought of that because people don't actually yeah. think that raspberry leaf tea comes under that category yeah absolutely my biggest because it's widely accepted and widely utilized yeah. isn't it and my biggest one with this is the use of ginger which is often recommended for um, nausea especially in early pregnancy even i have to say by the um in, it's in the nice guidelines uh, recommending the use of ginger for nausea. Yeah. but again it's a complementary and alternative therapy and it's not appropriate for everyone mm -hmm. because um ginger when it's used in therapeutic doses has a blood thinning capacity so if a woman is already on anticoagulant drugs or she has problems with her clotting it would be very inappropriate for her to drink ginger tea and it's that level of it's almost like a little bit of knowledge can be a bit dangerous if you're going out there and randomly recommending all the women you meet to drink ginger tea then you can be there's a potential in there that you can be causing harm and that's where the education comes in and making sure that you are knowledgeable about what it is you're talking about rather than just blanket recommendations because the same things don't aren't going to be appropriate for everyone mm. and I, I think we often say this in our, our teaching sessions in that when we ask women at booking appointment about medications they're taking 
they won't think that any um, vitamins, supplements, anything like that is a medication that's worthy of mentioning. And they'll possibly just carry on taking whatever supplements they were taking before throughout the whole of the pregnancy. And some are just not appropriate at, at all to take. And that's where we need to be encouraging that they feel that these are supplements mm -hmm. and we need to be knowing about it when we find out that they're pregnant and it just goes back to those open conversations doesn't it, that, that we touched yeah. on earlier that women have to feel confident that they can talk to their midwives about whatever it is that they're wanting to use or to take through their pregnancy without feeling like they're going to be judged and midwives have to feel like you know that this is on their radar because it's some it's not even in the notes I don't think that there isn't a space to record no, is this woman taking any does she have a complementary therapist is she taking any kind of herbal remedies does she use aromatherapy and if we don't have those prompts to start those conversations it you know you think about how a booking appointment is so busy and there's so much information it, it just gets lost mm -hmm. because yeah. that cue to discuss it isn't there yeah, definitely. Interesting that it's not even in the notes. So there's no way of being able to capture accurate data really about it. You know, there's lots of other things that are in the yeah. notes. And, and, and if we're not capturing data to understand the usage and the, and the number of women that are using them, then how will we ever be able to get a grip on, how will we ever be able to justify doing research on them? Because they are an, yeah. an, un, an unknown amount of women. Um, and one of the challenges to undertaking research into complementary and alternative medicines and therapies is gaining research funding to do you know to be able to undertake those studies and you won't be able to gain research funding unless you clearly have a handle on the number of women and the populations that that um that that are affected or that that are affected by by their use yeah so you kind of can go around in circles really in terms of trying to uh, get this evidence base uh, for the use of them um because if there is no evidence base they will never be anywhere else other than in the margins yeah and it, 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 it saddens me a little bit because I, I don't know if, you know, as professionals, how can we push that forward or do we need to push it forward? Do you think, you know, because there's obviously a need. We've already identified that the women are pushing for that for their own kind of um, satisfaction levels within birth and pregnancy. So do as midwives. I, I guess really the question to ask is um, what are the the, the the issues for the midwife in terms of being professional and responsible and how can we support the women and I think by answering that we can then look at how as practitioners and clinicians as midwives we can we can get it out there more so, so Francis do you know if you've got any thoughts on how the midwife um sits in terms of complementary and alternative yeah, I think there's a couple of issues here, isn't there? And so one of them is about choice, um, as a, we, which has kind of been a theme all the way through, really, hasn't it? Um, and that women make choices about what's right for them and what's right for their lives and what's right for their health care. And that's absolutely as it should be. And as midwives, we need to support them in their choice and we need to respect their decisions. Um, but it's also our job to give women information. And so um, 
whether or not we can do that depends on whether or not we have that information and that might be because we don't know about things or it might be because like we've spoken about the research out there doesn't fit our modalities of how we look at research um you've already touched helen i think you mentioned earlier on the royal college of midwives guidelines for midwives about complementary therapies and that and again, we've mentioned this several times now, but the really important thing is about asking women about their use of complementary and alternative therapies so that we can start these conversations. And so mm. that if they are using something that we know has the potential for adverse reactions or interactions, that we can tell them about that. Um, as Catriona said, it's also really important to make sure that they're aware that our recommendation would be that they're being treated by a practitioner who is appropriately experienced and qualified, especially around pregnancy, because it may be that um, you've got practitioners who are very, very highly qualified and experienced, but they, their, whatever their qualifications are or their training or experience doesn't necessarily cover pregnancy and maternity care, which has its own implications. So it's really important um, yeah. that we make them aware they need to seek out someone with experience in that area, really. Um, it's midwives can use complementary therapies especially if they've um if their trust is has policies in place to use that if they've had appropriate training and education and again that comes back to our code of conduct you'd never do anything that you weren't appropriately trained to do um and so you shouldn't be undertaking things that you're not confident to do but if you've had the training and that you've got um appropriate insurance through your trust or if you're practicing privately then you know, it's absolutely fine to offer complementary therapies to women and it can, you know, it can really be beneficial to their well-being in a lot of different ways. Um, but it is, again, about making sure that the training you've had is appropriate. It's aimed at healthcare professionals. It's aimed at focusing on women um, during their pregnancies as well. But mostly, I think it comes back to the conversations that we have about women with women just to make sure that they're aware that not everything that says it's natural is necessarily benign. It, you know, it, it doesn't always imply yeah. that something is safe just because it's natural, um, that they should be mindful of things like the dose and the duration and the frequency of treatments as well and not just go completely overboard with things. Um, again, with the raspberry leaf tea that Catriona mentioned earlier, uh, it's very difficult because um, raspberry leaf tea isn't necessarily sold as a standard strength. So we can't necessarily say you should, you know, you, you, it's OK to drink this much raspberry tea, leaf tea because it's not a regulated product. And so what they're drinking may vary quite, quite dramatically. Um, and it's really just about not, as with most things in midwifery, not doing things that you don't feel confident to do it yourself finding out more information if you feel like you're lacking information. But it does come back to encouraging women, empowering women, supporting women. We shouldn't just be giving them a blanket, well, it's not safe to use complementary therapies because that won't stop them using them. And indeed, it shouldn't. We absolutely shouldn't. It will, But it means they're less likely to have these conversations with us. Yeah, absolutely. Catriona, is there anything you... Um, the only other thing I would add to that is just to encourage if... if, if, um, if, if midwives are are qualified and um and experienced to to engage with women and using those therapies then it's just in order in order to start building up an evidence base for the effectiveness and the safety and the levels of satisfaction associated with that particular therapy is to be able to undertake small audits and you know small little evaluations as they are using them um you know because these smaller studies will eventually accumulate and help to 
develop a, a larger evidence base. So just keep keep on doing little audits and keep on doing evaluations and yeah, just to try and get an evidence base growing um, to support their use. Yeah. Yeah, you're inspiring me. I need to get back on it with my yoga. <laughs> um, in terms of like practically, um, you've you've both been practicing midwives. What have you seen utilized out in practice, and what have you seen you know be effectively utilized out in practice? So I can speak a lot about yoga. I won't. I do go on about it a lot, but I can actually you know I've seen real concrete evidence of how people manage their birth, and you know there's a lot there is quite a lot of evidence out there about yoga actually in pregnancy but um I think it's as much to do with the physical aspects as it is for the mental aspects and the the breath work that they learn and engage in throughout the prenatal yoga um I know you do uh, acupuncture Francis and some benefits of that that you've seen is there I think the thing that stands out for me most um with acupuncture and acupuncture can be very beneficial for various things throughout pregnancy and birth Um, it can be very effective for things like pelvic girdle pain which a lot of women can find very debilitating Um, uh, acupressure particularly for nausea again in early pregnancy can be quite effective and I think that's in the NICE guidelines as well now to suggest we might be using that but the thing that really stands out for me is um, the use of moxibustion so moxibustion Mm. is Mm. a a technique related to acupressure which involves um, burning moxa sticks alongside particular acupressure points and what it's used for is for encouraging breech babies to turn into a cephalic position so that's encouraging babies who are presenting bottom or feet first to present head first and actually this is one of the few areas of complementary and alternative therapies that has an evidence base because it's quite easy to study because it's very much binary it's one thing or another it's not something that varies in terms of how you would do it differently for different people and actually the evidence base for moxibustion supports it quite strongly and says it it appears to be as effective as an external cephalic version which is where um a midwife or an obstetrician who's trained to do it manually rotates the baby um there's me and helen here gesticulating we're trying to explain (laughs) what it looks like (laughs) um so uh, but it is it's so it is very much something that could be suggested to women during their pregnancies because there, it does have this evidence base to support it and it might reduce the risk of interventions such as needing to have an ECV or even cesarean section if the baby is still presenting um, breach. And, and again, with moxibustion, it's, it's not that you do that and then that's your only option. You could then look at conventional in as well as, you know, having that as well so it's just another like you say another alternative yeah. and, and the great thing about moxibustion is it's very cheap to do it doesn't require a huge amount of of input or resources and also it's very easy to train people to do as well so you can train birth partners to do it because it works better if it's done repeatedly so you can train birth partners to do it it's very very easy to train midwives to mm. do it it's not an invasive procedure but it does seem to be quite effective and i do think this Although I really hope this is something that we'll see being adopted by more trusts in the future, just because of its cost effectiveness, if nothing else. Mm. I've definitely seen um, aromatherapy oils being used really effectively. And actually in our trust, we not anymore, but we used to have them when I was a student midwife. We used to have them on the bath um, and they used to just use them <laughs> during labour. 
Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I think, again, probably someone said there's no evidence base for that. And then it, it went out the window. But actually, it was very effective and it can be really, really effective if utilised correctly. Mm. And another of our local trusts does have an aromatherapy policy in place at the moment. And oh, it makes sure okay. midwives are appropriately trained. So there's a group of midwives within the hospital who've had proper, you know, extensive training, not just a, a one hour course kind of thing into when yeah. it is appropriate to use it and who it's appropriate and what you oils are appropriate for what and it's extremely well received by the women and that's the important thing really is when we're talking about the evidence base it's like you were saying before it's about that where is the women's experience in the evidence Mm. base is it just about does it reduce the number of cesarean sections or are we looking at does it make the woman have a more enjoyable experience and if it does then surely that's something we should be aiming for Mm. one of the um one of the and as I said at the beginning of, of, of the podcast, that I'm, I, I know less about all the individual treatments and therapies. My interest is more about how these therapies and, and products end up, you know, existing within maternity care and on the margins, et cetera, et cetera. So, but I, I often uh, think back to the introduction of water births and birthing pools and think, because mm-hmm. my, the first um, water birth that I ever saw and was involved in was as a student midwife. So this would be back in 93, 94. I started my training in 1993, so it would be 94. And I was working in one of the um, units in Scotland. There weren't many units that had a birthing pool, but I was lucky enough to be working in a unit that had a birthing pool and I witnessed my first water birth and at that time, it was considered an alternative method of birthing. And um, I was absolutely astounded by how wonderful this and how amazing this experience looked from me, from my perspective as a, as a midwife, how, um, you know, how untraumatic it seemed for the baby, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, all that narrative about how a water birth looks. And uh and so I, from that point onwards, was a really big advocate for women labouring and and labouring certainly labouring in in water, um, and at times giving giving birth underwater. And now we're kind of twenty five years on from that, and birthing pools exist very much in the mainstream. So yeah. so I guess I guess we have to hang on to that that. Um, that knowledge that at one point something that was very much in the margins birthing in water is now in the mainstream and hopefully over the over and that's over a 25 year period and hopefully that will be the same with you know those (laughs) yes so it's things like that that make me think yeah we are we are that things are improving and there are some some aspects of CAM that are managing to find their way in there, although there'll always be the doubters and there'll always yeah. be the cynics that go, oh, should babies be born underwater? And, oh, I once heard of a baby that, you know, this yeah. happened or that happened. But, you know, on the whole, um, they are now recognised as being safe, satisfying and effective in terms of helping women to manage the discomfort of labour. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I've been to, well, I had all three of my children in water, so I'm a, I'm a massive advocate of <laughs> water birth. But I've also been to lots of study days and things on water. And I don't, honestly, I don't see it as alternative at all anymore. And that's the point, isn't it? Mm. But 
you know what? I think some people still probably do see it as quite alternative. I think they do as well. Yeah, yeah which is, but who knows? Anyway, well, that has just been an amazing conversation. I've absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. And if um you've got any um questions or you've got any opinions or anything to tell us please go onto our social media and let us know we'd really really love to hear what your thoughts are on the podcast and we'd also love to hear if you've got any suggestions for any future podcasts at all but thank you so much Catriona and thank you as always Francis it's been a really engaging and insightful conversation and hopefully you know it's made people have a little think about what's out there what's options there and, and once again we always seem to go back to women's experience and levels of satisfaction in every podcast and I think everything points to the fact that that's where we need to be heading all the time so many thanks thank you thank you it's thank been you. lovely thanks. Thank cheers you.